I think that to build the kind of trust that I would need to have to be able to like let a white person into my life in like an intimate way, I would have to know them for longer than like just, you know, the kind of normal conventions of dating. Hello and welcome to Immigrantly. Happy Valentine's Day. I know it's a special day today, but it's also different this year. Although in New York City, they've opened indoor dining today. So I am sure some of you are probably going to venture out and spend some time with your loved one. But please stay safe and wear your masks. So today we have quite the treat for you to celebrate Valentine's Day. We wanted to explore the topic of dating in the diaspora. Interesting, right? What role does identity play into it, if any? I think there must be like a limit to the number of times you can be called exotic. And then once you reach that limit, you're like, ah, this is not a compliment. This is really backhanded and weird and orientalist. I don't like it. But I've been out of the dating game for a long time. So I enlisted the help of our content editor, Sarah, who is in her 20s and also navigating the dating scene. Sarah sat down, virtually of course, with our guests Andrew and Aisha, who are also in their 20s, to ask them individually about their dating experiences, just an FYI. Aisha is not her real name, she didn't want us to disclose her identity. The conversations were so funny, but also really enlightening, and I learned a lot. I felt so out of touch. I was like, the hell does this really happen? I mean, seriously, once you listen to these conversations, you will agree with me. First up, we have Andrew. A few things to know about him. He lives in Canada. Interesting. He is half Guyanese and half Turkish. His identity as a black man plays a huge role in his dating life. Cool, cool. Okay, so let's just jump right in. Um, I'm excited to hear what you have to say today. So you are pretty conscientious about your dating decisions, and one of them being that you don't date white people that you've just met. Why is that? <laughs> I mean, dating in general is kind of a dice roll. Like you're always, you know, you're not necessarily going to connect on, on, it could be any number of things. But I find that like in the past, in my experiences with dating white people in particular, like there's just more that you have to look out for because there's the extra work of like trying to make sure that this person is like one, not racist, <laughs> you know, that's like the bare minimum is like not racist, but then like also I'm really into the two cultures that I come from. Right. And so I want them to be a little bit knowledgeable and a little bit respectful of, of those cultures because they're important to me. Like, and, and, things like food and like, you know, traditions like that. I enjoy participating in those things. And, you know, I find that if it's not an issue of like straight up ignorance, because I also don't want to be like handholding you through literally everything, you know, or like genuine racism, it'll be like the kind of well-meaning, like liberal white girl who tries really hard to prove that she's interested in your culture. And it ends up like they come on too strong and it, makes me uncomfortable. And so I, I generally just like, I think that 
to build the kind of trust that I would need to have to be able to like let a white person into my life in like an intimate way, I would have to know them for longer than like just, you know, the kind of normal conventions of dating, right? Because you, if you meet someone new and you start to date them, there's kind of an accelerated level of intimacy. If you start dating someone who you've known for a long time, like you have that time to get to know them. And women have said some really interesting, like, sexual things to you early on, right? Because they have these assumptions about you being Black. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, I I mean, I think that I find, like, and this happens most often on, like, dating apps more than, like, in person. Although it's happened in person a couple of times, too. Um, They'll either, like, bring up sexual things way too soon, like, way too early in the conversation. Like, I had a girl who literally, like opened our conversation with uh i don't even know if i want to say this out loud (laughs) um but yeah maybe i'll paraphrase uh i'll say she said give me that bbc debt i'm not gonna say the whole thing i just refuse oh god (laughs) yeah it was uncomfortable and i was like i don't like nice to meet you what do you even say to that yeah oh god as a general rule, like I subscribe to, and maybe this is prudish of me because we do live in 2020 and like maybe people are a little bit more open-minded about that. Uh, if you haven't yet seen my penis, don't talk about it. Like, don't bring it up. That's a thing to do, <laughs> right? True. But it happens like a lot. It's like yeah, common courtesy. It, but it happens more than I feel like is normal, right? Because at first I was like, I don't know, maybe girls are just like this. Like, I, I have never dated someone who's not me. Um, so I was like, oh, but yeah, I mean, over time I came to feel like, yeah, you know what? It probably is racial. Like I, I talking <laughs> to like my other not black, like they're not having this kind of experience. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's happened, you know, a number of times or they'll do this thing where they like assume that I'm going to be really good at sex. Like there's like a big black person book of like sex tricks that only we have where like, I feel like we all have the same moves. Like it's all the same stuff. But they think that I have like like ancient African knowledge. <laughs> They're like, oh, like he must be really good because he's black. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Like So I'm curious, like at what point do they bring this up? Are they like in the bedroom and then they're like, okay, show me your ancient African moves? Or when does that come up? No, I've had I've I had a girl at dinner once be like, Oh, I've never been with a black guy before. I was like, I don't know. I feel like it's regular. Do you feel like this fetishization mainly comes from white women or does it also come from relationships or dates with other women? Uh, the fetishization, mostly white women, um, if only because I think, I mean, I suspect that like women of other ethnicities tend to have their own experiences of fetishization. And so they're usually a little bit more sensitive um, in ways that I think white women just like if you've never been fetishized, you might not know how it feels. So you just do it to other people without thinking. Um, I've had like women of color say and do anti-black stuff to me, like just straight up, you know, where I'm like, that's unacceptable. Yeah. I, I, so I think that like fetishization kind of mainly comes from white women, but I, I have had like all sorts of other kind of anti-black stuff happen from women of color. So I, I, I like, I mean, safe or not safe, like safe is such a silly word. Cause it's like, once you get to the point where it's like, hey, yeah, there's some risk that this could happen to you from basically anybody. Like, I don't want to use the word unsafe because I'll be fine. But like, you know, it, it, it becomes such a large thing that you just kind of have to always think about it and like not let it, you know, 
affect you to the point where you're just not dating anybody. The thing is, like, I feel like I'm already mixed race, so, like, all dating that I do is inherently interracial dating. Like, there's no perfect cultural match for me except someone of, like, my exact two ethnicities, and the only person I know like that is my sister, so that's not happening. Like, even if you, like, extrapolate the ethnicities out and say, like, oh, like, other Black people plus other Middle Eastern people, there's not, it's a small club. It's, like, me and my sister and Yara Shahidi and the Kardashian kids, and they're all too young for me. So I don't feel, like, wedded to, like, a particular ethnicity like that. I think they could probably be any ethnicity um, or any combination of ethnicities. But what I do think that they would need to understand is, like, they would need to have similar, like, a similar cultural grounding as I do. So, like, whether it's the particular cultures they need to understand they need to have similar views about like family about food i really like food um i i had a friend recently tell me the other day um that like their partner does not like rice and like they're filipino what yeah and they just like eat potatoes all the time and i was like what do you mean <laughs> like how i would if somebody told me they didn't like rice i would throw the whole woman away like, oh yeah i just like i'm sorry like i can't <laughs> yeah because rice like it's First of all, who doesn't like rice? But second of all, like, it's an integral part of, like, a staple of both the cuisines that I, like, am a part of. You're going to have to eat some rice. Like, yeah. It's, it's just going to be a thing, right? Like, yeah. So, like, the, the kind of, like, baseline cultural compatibility is more important to me than, like, the specifics, um, if that makes sense. But also, like, understand that, like, these two things are really important to me. You're going to probably be asked to participate a little bit. I don't want to put anyone in a position where they don't want to participate. So, like, ideally, they'd probably be a little bit enthusiastic about it. And then I think the last thing would be to, like, to be enthusiastic about their own something. Like, it, I mean, it doesn't have to be, like, their culture specifically, but, like, to be enthusiastic about something that they could share with me. Because, like, I don't know, I, I do a lot of sharing. I, I would like to be shared with, if that makes sense. Next up, we have Aisha. She lives in London and she is Muslim, ethnically Indian. Her parents are from East Africa and she is second generation Brit. What are some of the pressures that you personally faced around dating within your Muslim culture? Yes. So um, I wear a hijab too. So I, um, I'm very visibly Muslim, but also that comes with this kind of expectation that I am super, super practicing and follow everything um, by the book, which is kind of intimidating in and of itself. Um, but in terms of dating, I kind of come from a cultural background as well that is all about, and I guess all cultures are about kind of maintaining that cultural identity and that cultural lineage. So there's a lot of um, emphasis on marrying within the culture. So kind of living in Britain, where there are um, three million Muslims, um, that dating pool is then narrowed down to um, marrying a Muslim of the same sect as I am, and that's a minority sect, so that's an even smaller pool. And then um, marrying someone that also has the same cultural background, so someone who is Gujarati, but also from East Africa, makes it so much smaller. And then um, my mum's personal favourite is um, someone that goes to the same mosque as me as well. So my um, kind of community has two mosques in London. One is in the north and one is in the south. Um, and my mum has always been very um, adamant that she would like me to marry someone who goes to the mosque in the north and definitely not the mosque in the south. So um, 
I guess the approach is very much there is a very specific um, type of person that you should be dating or, or marrying, I guess. Um, and these are all the criteria that they need to meet. Um, and it's always kind of about marriage. It's never really about dating or kind of getting to know people. There is so much emphasis on meeting someone and then, okay, well, do you like them enough to spend the rest of your life with them rather than here's a really cool person that you might want to go on a few dates with and get to know and maybe be in a relationship with for a little while and then see if you want to get married. So lots of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So like casual dating is just not really a thing. It's not a thing. And it's really funny because, um, well, I mean, it, it is a thing. Lots of people do it, but it's just totally not talked about. Um, my sister and my now brother-in-law were in a relationship for six years, maybe seven years before they got married um, or before they got engaged. And even though, you know, they're from the exact same background, they are kind of exactly the kind of people who should be marrying each other by the community standards. That was kept a secret. And that was a massive taboo that they had been dating for so long. And, you know, my parents knew about it and we obviously knew about it in the house, but it was never talked about. And it was so it was deemed to be so disrespectful and unacceptable, even though kind of all the intentions were, you know, uh, pure and kind of above board and whatever. And they eventually got married, but still, and you know, they've been married for 10 years, but still no one really talks about the fact that they'd been dating for so long. So you actually secretly dated someone for five years, right? And he was white and he was an atheist. Um... I did, yeah. <laughs> He was everything my parents would have hated, which is why I was always terrified to introduce them to him um, and vice versa, really. I guess um, I was quite young when we met and I think I was still in my very rebellious phase that I you know, didn't like um, my culture. I didn't like my community. Um, I felt like it was super narrow minded, that it just didn't get me. Um, and I just wanted to do everything that it didn't stand for, I guess. So I went into a really, uh, I went into an artsy career, um, which was kind of um, not encouraged. You know, everyone is a, a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a pharmacist. Um, and I, and, I, uh, and you know, everyone, has, everyone goes to university. I decided not to go to university and I pursued an artsy career. Um, and so it kind of followed on that I was then um, to meet someone who was, yeah, white, atheist um a bit older than me and yeah we were together for five and a half years and it was all totally a secret wow yeah um and you actually intended on marrying him right or at the time so how do you think you would have I mean it didn't work out but how do you think you would have brought that up to your parents I think I because I was very young when we when we were together um I was 24 by the time we broke up and we'd already been together for about five and a half years by this point um, and I had always said that I just didn't feel like my parents um, saw me as a successful adult with her head screwed on who knew the decisions that she was making and was able to make very good decisions and I mean they they saw me like that in my career which was really great and which I really appreciated but I just felt like they didn't see me like that personally and it's funny because you know, I talk about my older sister who got married when she was 22 well, she was yeah they got engaged when she was 22 and they got married when she was 23 and they 
respected her decision in that way. But I think I really didn't feel that they would have had the same approach with my big revelation. Um, and so we'd agreed, uh, my partner at the time, uh, and I'd agreed that we would wait until I felt that we were there. Um, that both, you know, I was there in, there in that relationship with my parents, but also that me and him were there in that place where it wasn't just, oh, here, mum and dad, this is the guy that I'm dating, but oh, here, mum and dad, this is the guy that I'm dating and we want to get married. Um, and so it was kind of like two things that needed to happen. Um, I have no idea how I would have done it. And the me now is just so grateful that I didn't have to do it. And I think, you know, a lot of my fears and anxieties were probably just, you know, kind of rooted in the unknown. You know, I had, this was like unprecedented with my parents. You know, I had no idea how they would respond because I had no, you know, there had been no experience of this in the past with my parents. But I, looking back, I don't think they'd have freaked out as much as I not, like expected them to at the time, which is quite cool to know. Something that you mentioned earlier that I thought was really interesting was how your dating life was affected by um, your personal feelings of feeling out of alignment with your faith. And it seems like that manifested into dating a lot of British white atheist men. It did, yeah. But something that you mentioned in your email that I thought was really interesting was that you often heard you're, and I'm doing air quotes right now for our listeners, you're not like other Muslim girls. And that was the biggest compliment to me. And I think, I look back and I think, that's a terrible thing to say. What does that even mean? But I remember at the time I wore it like this massive badge of honor. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, what do you think that meant? Because it's very hard for me to believe that a white atheist man knows that much about Islam where he's, a, he's like able to compare you to other women. <laughs> I mean... I really assumed that it was as superficial as, oh, you're, you know, you're not drinking, but you're sat with me in a pub or, you know, okay, you are amenable to going out with someone who isn't Muslim or, you know, you're dating full stop. And that's, you know, a big deal. I don't know. I think, I think it's, a, it was a very, yeah, I have heard that comment a number of times. And I think it was always a very superficial comment, kind of like, you know, oh, I, I assume, um, you know, from, from experience, they didn't know very many British Muslim women, but I guess it was just about this perception of this like super conservative, you know, um, wearing a face covering, you know, not even going, you know, out at all, let alone going on a date, let alone going on a date with someone who's not also Muslim. I think there is this very stereotypical perception of Muslim women which I had just was being compared to because I was also a Muslim woman and just one that looked and I guess behaved very differently to that stereotype mm, yeah that makes sense yeah and did when you were dating these guys who were atheists did they ever make an attempt to try to understand Islam oh of course not <laughs> Um, the number of times uh, my name has been pronounced wrong, my ex-boyfriend, who I've mentioned, who I was together with for five and a half years, never tried to learn how to actually pronounce my name. Um, I know, and I think about this now, and I think, oh my God, what is wrong with you? I remember when we first met, and he was just like, oh, it's, it's really tricky to pronounce. Can I call you 
something else instead. And so from that day forward, for five and a half years, for the entirety of our relationship, whenever he introduced me to friends or colleagues or whatever, he would always introduce me by the nickname he called me. And he never, ever, ever, ever called me by my actual name because he found it too difficult to pronounce. Wow. That's like a huge red flag. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. It's a huge red flag. I know. I know. And I am so kind of disappointed in 19-year-old me who just didn't see it. But hey-ho. Well, we're happy you're past that now. <laughs> Good riddance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So now you're at a place in your life where you feel more aligned with your faith and you're at a place where it like really works for you. Um, so I'm curious about how did your dating decisions evolve and how did they change as your relationship with your faith changed? So I got older um, and I got less angry at the world and at my community. And that was just kind of it, really. That's what it was. I just got less angry and I stopped trying to fight against everything. Um, and, you know, I think... I think there must be like a limit to the number of times you can be called exotic. And then once you reach that limit, you're like, ah, this is not a compliment. This is really backhanded and weird and orientalist. and I don't like it. Um, or, you know, there's a number of times you can be asked, so will you have sex with me with your hijab on? Before you think, oh, it's a huge thing and it's so bizarre. It's, I, I can't understand it. But it's a huge fetish, both in non-Muslim men and Muslim men. But that, that might be a, another conversation entirely. Um, you, you look really confused. Wait, so does the hijab, did it? Yeah, well, I'm just baffled. Like, did it come off a lot, like the hijab, when it yes. came to, whoa, like, how so? And, and it's the same from with non-Muslim men and Muslim men. But I think the motivations behind it were different. They would both camps would always say, oh, so can I see your hair? Um, and I'd be like, uh, like maybe, I, I don't know, it's a bit weird on a first date when we're like, you know, in public. Um, and then it would be like, so, you know, when you have sex, do you keep that on? I think, what? Why would I take off the rest of my clothes and keep that on? And then sometimes it would be like, well, can you keep that on and take everything else off? Both from Muslim men and not non-Muslim men. And it was always very bizarre. And I obviously always said, like, no, gross. Like, I don't get it. Like, you know, that's not that's not a thing. Yeah, that is so... Oh. Like, where do you think that comes from? From a non-Muslim perspective, it comes from, like, a... And maybe this is me just kind of projecting and stereotyping. I think it comes from, like, this Orientalist and this very imperialist perspective, like, oh, I am liberating the oppressed woman and look at me, macho white man who's taught the brown girl how to have sex and be a normal human being and from the muslim male perspective i think it comes from like a oh look i you know like she's so conservative and practicing and by the book but i managed her to do everything else i don't i don't know it's weird it's definitely weird so, but now you're with someone happily, and he um, actually fits everything that you were originally yeah, intended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> annoyingly, annoyingly, I spent so long dating the kind of people that my parents would dislike, and 
then when I started dating Muslim men but weren't the right kind of Muslim or weren't the right kind of ethnicity, I took great joy in telling my parents because I thought it was quite funny to see their reactions um, and just to test the waters and see how receptive they were. And they were always very receptive and like, oh, you know, have fun or whatever or asking how it went and stuff. Um, but then I met someone uh, who is Muslim and the same sect as I am. He is also Gujarati. His parents are from East Africa. Um, we don't we don't go to the same mosque because he goes to the mosque in South London. But my my mum is willing to look past that. Um, but it's really funny because he's also never dated a Muslim girl um, and been in. Yeah, we're very similar. And, you know, been in long term relationships with non Muslim women and intended to marry them and, you know, had the whole struggles with his parents about telling them and stuff. Um, and, you know, again, with him, a lot of that was born out of fighting against these community expectations. So it's very strange that two people who went on a very similar journey at very similar times and who kind of fit the bill for each other in lots of ways, both in the ways that our community expects us to, but also everything that kind of we both wanted in another person, we, we ended up meeting. So how was it? Incredible, right? So up until now, I had a listener's perspective, like all of you, but I wanted to dig deep. So I decided to sit down with Sarah and get her perspective, her thoughts on the conversation, what are some of the things that stood out to her, and is she facing some of the same stuff? Take a listen. So this is the first time we are on air together and I am so, so, so excited. Um, by the way, I want to say something. What an incredible conversation, Sarah. I was blown away. Um, and to be honest, I did learn a few cool words like caucasity. The first question that I want to ask is, what is one thing that shocked you about your conversation with Andrew and Aisha? Was there something that you heard and you were like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah, so for Andrew, I was just really shocked at, once again, the caucasity of some of these people. Huh. Um, and by that, I mean how forthright people were being with some of the comments that they were saying, specifically with Andrew. I mean, he shared that one anecdote of that woman who, right off the bat, like, sent him that incredibly sexual, racially charged comment. Yeah. And for me, I'm just like, I can't imagine ever being in a situation where I would think that's, like, a socially acceptable thing to do. What would you have done if you had received something like that? Um, honestly, so he received it through a dating app. Hmm. And I think if I was like receiving that on a dating app, I would have just hit unmatch. But sometimes <laughs> if I have the time, sometimes if I have the time, maybe I would have been like, you know what? No, like this is not what you say to someone. But I don't know. It really depends on the mood that you're in. So I want to ask you about your dating life. This is exciting. Um, <laughs> as a Korean woman, have you dealt with 
any weird comments or any cringy stuff as my daughters would put it <laughs> um so not specifically from people i've dated i like to think it's because i give off this energy that's like don't mess with me <laughs> but <laughs> um but i've definitely had some weird comments by strangers you know i'll just be walking through the streets of new york mm. and this is pre covid when i don't have a mask on and people will say all sorts of weird things but um actually I feel like the reason why I've never really dealt with this from someone I was dating is because I'm pretty good at sussing it out before we hit that next level. Mm. So this is actually a funny story that happened a few months ago. But um, this guy just randomly, I was taking a walk in my neighborhood and yeah. he was like running and he stopped and he asked me for my number. Well, we were talking and blah, blah, blah. And then at the <laughs> end he was like, oh, like, I'd love to continue talking to you. Like, would you like my number? And I was like, uh, okay, whatever. Like, I guess huh. I wasn't really talking to anyone else at the time. And then we were just chatting a little bit, texting. And then I decided to stalk his Instagram and just look him up there yeah. because <laughs> I feel like that's what we do now. Right. <laughs> and I looked at his Instagram and the first thing I noticed was that he had spent the last year in Japan. Hmm. And I was like, okay, maybe he just likes to travel. He had a lot of pictures of him in like kimonos and at temples. Oh. And I was like, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt at first. I was like, maybe he just liked to travel, whatever. He was white. He was white. Okay, just want to clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I scrolled a little further into his Instagram and I saw that his last two ex-girlfriends, two entirely different women, but they were both East Asian. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's going to be a no from me. But thank you. Um, but luckily, the good thing about COVID is that it's a great excuse to not to talk to anyone anymore. So I was just like, hey, sorry, I just want to be safe. So I'm really <laughs> I'm not going to date anyone right now, but have a great day. <laughs> Sarah, do you ever go to your parents for dating advice? Um, I don't. Just because, uh. and it's not because I don't think that they would give good dating advice. It's just that I feel like it's just so different. Like the dating experiences that they had growing up in Korea, you know, yeah. like in the 70s or 80s are very different from the dating experiences that I have as a second gen Korean American in yeah. this country. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do your parents have any preferences for who you should be dating? Like, have they ever expressed anything specific? Yeah, actually, I've asked my parents about this because I was huh. always curious because that's definitely something that does exist within our community. I think it happens with a lot of different communities. But um, both my parents are like, well, obviously, it would be nice if you ended up with someone Korean. Well, first of all, I told them, hmm. have no expectations whatsoever. <laughs> I don't really plan on getting married. If that happens, cool, but have no expectations. And <laughs> same with children, zero expectations. So the bar is like on the floor for me. <laughs> it, it's interesting because my younger one has exact same views as uh, you. Mm -hmm. She's like, she's not getting married. She's not having children. Um, so yeah, I am in the same boat as your parents then <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you get it um but yeah so they're so they would say like oh it would be nice if you were to have a partner that was korean mainly because of that shared like understanding when it comes to yeah. certain cultural things but also even with things like food you know they're like that just makes it so much easier because i 
honestly, like, kimchi was not something that was popular until recently. Like, <laughs> ask any Korean-American. They will have an anecdote of, like, them bringing a friend over and them being like, oh, my God, what's that smell? And it's the kimchi that's in the fridge. Ah. Um, so just even stuff like that, they, they're like, it would be nice if whoever you decided to create a life with ended up being Korean. But obviously, you know, being in this country and knowing that that's not really... I don't really live in a homogenous country and I don't uh-huh. like exist or mingle in homogenous um, like communities. Right. So they know that that's not really something to bank on. So I want to go back to something that Aisha said that really, um, you know, struck me and I was shocked. But at the same time, somehow I know that people do make comments like that. So remember when she talked about how um, her boyfriend used to call her exotic? Yeah. First up, I think to all the cisgender, heterosexual (laughs) white men who are dating women from different cultural and ethnic backgrounds, please don't use the word exotic to describe them. It's offensive, derogatory. Just, Just expunge it. Yeah. But what do you think? Like, why... Like, have you had any such experience where a person would say something stupid or derogatory to you about your physical appearance? Obviously complimenting you in a way, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, the exotic thing always makes me laugh because it's like, I feel like factually incorrect because I feel like Asians are, I think, some of the biggest like ethnic groups in the world so to call (laughs) someone exotic it's like that's not really true on a global scale but cool um (laughs) that's true (laughs) yeah I mean I definitely have been called exotic I feel like that's something that you have yeah I feel like that's something that every Asian woman has dealt with but (laughs) this is I actually have like a specific anecdote for this so I remember I, so the second semester of my junior year in college, I spent it in Southern Africa, and I came home, and I was uh, off the flight, and I was in the terminal back at O'Hare in Chicago, and I was waiting for my dad to come pick me up. Hi. And I'm just, you know, I'm in a great mood. I just had a great semester. I'm tan, you know. I, <laughs> I feel great. And this TSA guy just mm. walks up to me, and he starts, like, freaking out and it caught me (laughs) off guard but he's like oh my god like oh my god and I was like what like are you okay do you want me to call 911 or something you know I get I get visualize you doing that Sarah (laughs) (laughs) but he was like oh my god like you are so cute like blah 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 and I was like oh thank you and then (laughs) he starts going in he literally says like Asian women are so beautiful they're so underrated they're so exotic like blah 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 like you know you guys just don't get the credit that you deserve and I'm like fuck (laughs) I'm like so many like statements happening at once um yeah I don't know and I like it was weird obviously but I knew I know that he was trying to be complimentary and I'm sure the intentions were not malicious and they weren't like with the intention of being like racist or microaggressive or whatever but it's just funny to me that he thought that I would be flattered by that because then I'm like okay like what am I supposed to say like ah yes we are really exotic we are really underrated blah 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 so in the end Sarah what do you think everyone should take away from this episode hmm yeah I think that just in general no matter where you come from I think that it would just be good to be more conscious about 
some of the behaviors that you exhibit and some of the mm. things that you say? Because obviously, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and different perspectives, and we're all going to have different perspectives on what things are okay and what aren't. Because, you know, for example, with that TSA guy, another Asian woman could have been like so offended by that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, whereas with me, I was like, uh, whatever. <laughs> but I think it's just important to just be mindful about your proximity to certain identities and proximity to certain privileges, especially if you are with a partner or on a date with someone who isn't as privileged in that sense yeah. or has like more things to kind of be on the lookout for. And uh, yeah, just like think before you speak, like don't message someone asking them about their penis like even yeah. like take race out of that that's just not something you say ever I don't care who you are yeah I couldn't agree more we, we need to keep like those um batshit crazy moments yeah at bay I guess but this was so much fun Sarah I think you and I should do this more maybe yeah, we can have another episode but thank you I and thank you for the conversation I mean come on you guys had such good chemistry talking about so many things i loved it and i hope our listeners would enjoy it too me too me too we should definitely do this again absolutely wow this was so much fun i had a wonderful time talking to sarah and i think we should absolutely do more episodes like this by the way i want your feedback our listeners how did you like our episode how was Sarah's conversation with Andrew and Aisha? How was Sarah's conversation with me? What did you like about the episode? What did you learn? DM us, write to us, email us, comment on our Instagram. Let us know what you think. And a special thanks to Sarah. She's also the associate producer for this episode. She wrote content. She interviewed. Oh, wow. There's so much that Sarah does. And I'm so glad we were able to do this special episode together. Thanks to Andrew and Aisha for sharing their incredible stories, for giving us a different perspective, a perspective that is so important to understand. And so many people out there can probably relate to it. And I want to give a shout out to someone else, our editor, Tom. All the crazy, incredible stuff that you get to hear it wouldn't be so good if it weren't for Tom's impeccable editing. I am so glad that we found someone who understands what we are trying to convey to the audiences. So until next time, take care and don't forget to check our Patreon.